All right, so we are in the, the Gospel of John. We're continuing in the Gospel of John. We're starting chapter 18 of the Gospel of John today. And 18 takes a shift in the Gospel of John. The chapters 13 through 17, what we saw over the last uh, few months and, and times that we've been in those chapters, is that Jesus was preparing the disciples for him going away, for him going to the cross and dying for three days. But he was also preparing them for his ascension, when he would go to be with the Father and, and God would send the Spirit to work out God's mission through the church until Jesus returns. And so Jesus was preparing them for that time as well. John chapter 18 takes a shift. We are now what and where Jesus was preparing the disciples for. The moment that Jesus was preparing the disciples for, it is happening in John chapter 18. Jesus is going to get arrested. Jesus is going to move towards the cross and go to the cross. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus' arrest, a few interrogations, and Jesus on the cross. Paul Miller in his book, Love Walked Among Us, he, he talks about chapters 18 and 19 of the Gospel of John this way. This is what he says. The, the quote will be on the screen. During the last hours of Jesus' life, he's under a magnifying glass. It is the most concise, detailed, personal record that we have of anyone in antiquity. Antiquity is just basically Jesus' day, the time before the Middle Ages. But I love what Paul Miller says here, what he notes about the uh, historical truth of, of these accounts of Jesus' arrest, his interrogations, his death. Are, it puts Jesus under a magnifying glass. And even if you're here and you're not totally sure about Jesus, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know about this Jesus guy. At the very least, over the next few weeks, as we look at these historical accounts, these historical documents, if that's what you prefer, they, they are at least fascinating to look at. Fascinating as an example of the most detailed personal account we have in this time period of antiquity. But if you're like me, and you feel more sure about Jesus, and you believe Jesus is Lord, you believe that he did the things the gospel say, that he said the things that the gospel say he said, that he even is God in the flesh, then when we go through these chapters in John, and Jesus is under a magnifying glass, it's not just a fascinating historical document for us. It is a way to get to know the God of the universe. That we could go through this, and we could actually get to know Jesus. If this really is the most detailed personal account in that time period, then, and we believe that Jesus is Lord, then we can go through these passages, and we can actually get to know God, because knowing Jesus is knowing God. And so here's my goal for today. I just want us to look at Jesus. I want to go through these first 27 verses in chapter 18, and I just want us to look at Jesus, see who he is, see what kind of person he is, because the kind of person he is is the kind of person God is. And it's going to feel scattered, right? This sermon, it's not like I have these five points about Jesus that all start with the letter T or something like that, and, and, and I know that's a great way to learn, and that's helpful, and I do that sometimes, but it's going to feel scattered because sometimes getting to know someone is scattered, 
Right? When you sit down and you go to have lunch with someone and say, hey, tell me about who you are, you don't say, hey, what are, what's your five bullet points about yourself like type of thing. And so it's going to feel scattered because my goal today is that we would just look at Jesus. My hope is that as we look at Jesus, something happens in our hearts. That as we see who Jesus is, our hearts cannot help but grow in affection for him. That our hearts cannot help but grow in love towards him. And so my goal is that we would, my, my goal is that we would see Jesus. My hope is that we would love Jesus more after going through this passage together, okay? So let's start with Jesus' arrest in the middle of night. John chapter 18. The words will be on the screen, but feel free to turn in your Bible there if you'd like to as well. We're going to start in verse 1. We're just going to read the first 11 verses together. It says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I've lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Okay, let's stop there and let's set the scene. I want us to really go through this, imagining it in our minds how this unfolded, okay? So here's the scene. It's night. It's Passover as well, so it was probably uh, a full moon. So, so um, imagine a night lit by the full moon. Jesus and his disciples, they walked up through this brook, Kidron, which was probably kind of like a dry creek at that time of year. probably looked more like a dry wash. And so they walk up through this creek. I imagine they walk up a slope to this garden. This garden of Gethsemane, we know, is the name of it from the other Gospels. Now, this garden was probably not just like a garden how we think of a garden. It was probably an oil or an olive tree grove because Gethsemane means oil press. So this garden was probably full of olive trees. I can actually really imagine olive trees because there was a park near where I grew up that used to be an olive tree grove, but I know that we, we don't all know what that looks like. So I actually got a picture of olive tree, like an olive tree grove. So this is what it looks like. So Jesus brings his disciples up to this place, and he's praying, and we know from the other Gospels that he's kind of going off and praying and coming back, and, and different things are happening. So there's this time of prayer together before Judas comes up. Now, Judas comes up. I don't know if they took the same path and they kind of passed through this wash and up this slope as well, but I imagine they probably did something similar. And so we have Judas with this group of soldiers. Now, as I was like looking into how many soldiers this possibly was, based on the different things we know from the Gospels and the different Greek words being used here, it could have been anywhere from 25 guys with Judas to like 200 guys with Judas. 
And so Judas comes with this fairly large group of uh, soldiers, probably because they knew Jesus had disciples, and they were used to the Jesus types of the day, the ones that claimed that they were the Christ of the day. They were used, for the, the, they were used to those guys like having these, these men with them that would help start a rebellion of some sort. So I, I guarantee they probably came with at least double what Jesus had was their mindset. So they come up. They come up to Jesus. They come up to the garden, actually. But before they even get up to the garden, Jesus comes out. And this is what I, I really want us to visualize what verse 4 tells us happens. So you have this group of soldiers, however many, I imagine like 25 personally, come up. I imagine it again a slope, especially if they cross through a dry creek, up a slope to where this olive tree grove is. And as they're coming up, when they're still some distance away, I think that Jesus notices them. And it says that he came forward. Another way the Greek says that he came out from under these trees. And so what I want you to imagine is you have the soldiers here, slight slope, 15 feet down or whatever, 30 feet away from the tree line, and then you have Jesus kind of meet them. And then I want you to imagine 15 feet behind Jesus is the olive grove, the tree line, and here's where the disciples are. They're kind of looking out. Some of them are like waking up, we know, from other parts of uh, the Gospels where they're falling asleep while they're playing with, praying with Jesus. So visualize this. You have the soldiers a space, you have Jesus slightly higher up on the slope if it was a slope, and then you have the disciples up in the tree line. The reason I want us to visualize this is because even Jesus' physical movement here I think shows us something about Jesus. I think it shows us that Jesus is brave. Jesus is brave. Now, I don't know if you've ever been jumped by 25 people, but it's scary. <laughs> I haven't, to be clear. But if there's a group of people coming to get you, and you know that they're coming to get you, right? Verse 4 says Jesus knew everything that was about to happen. You, as a human being, are going to be in fight mode or flight mode, right? You're going to try to fight your way out of it, or you're going to try to run your way out of it. Jesus does neither. Jesus is in stand firmly and steady mode. He goes out to meet them. He stands there. Jesus is brave. We know from his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane, from, from the other Gospels, that these prayers were anxiety-ridden prayers, like Jesus didn't necessarily want to go through what he was about to go through. And yet, once the soldiers come, Jesus comes out from under the cover of these olive trees and he meets them and he stands firmly. He stands steady. And he even starts the conversation. He starts the conversation because he goes, hey, who, who are you guys looking for? Who are you guys looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And as Jesus says, I am he, something happens. They fall back, and they fall to the ground. So one or two scenarios happened here. Either Jesus' bravery was, like, so, like, jarring to the group in the front that they kind of, like, shuffled and tripped, and it was like a domino, and everybody fell in the group. Or something of Jesus' godness came out. 
right? Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been saying, I am this. I am the bread of life. I am all sorts of things. And all these I am statements that Jesus has been making through the Gospel of John are clearly tied to his godness. And so I think that probably in this moment, as he says, I am he, something of his godness came out. Something of his glory came out. Something of his holiness came out where, the, where this group of soldiers could not help but just fall. Like they felt something. There was some sort of power in the air that emanated from Jesus in this moment when he said, I am he. This shows us something else about Jesus. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful. Right? He He's laying his life down. They're not taking it from him. He's the one in real authority here. He started the conversation. He said, let's get this going. Who are you guys looking for? Let's start this, this process of getting me arrested. Jesus is laying his life down, and he is powerful because even when he says, I'm the guy you're looking for, it causes the whole group to fall down. And I think you see Jesus' power and his authority here in this moment because he has to restart the conversation almost as if I think to say, hey, this is where we were at before you guys fell down, right? Like I, I imagine what happens, they all fall down and they kind of get back up, scramble back up, however that worked. And I imagine that they're kind of like... Uh, what do we do, <laughs> right? Like, they've got probably a leader that's leading them. They're like, okay, we're waiting for, like, Ralph to tell us what to do. And, or Judas, come on, like, can somebody tell us what they're, and they're probably starting to get nervous because they're like, listen, we've never fought a guy with powers before. Like, this is, uh, is going to be tough. And so they're kind of just awkward, dead silence. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're, like, in a group and somebody that's leading the group is just not talking. And you're like, what do we do? Like, what are we supposed to do? I don't want to disobey you. Like, I think that's what's happening. And because Jesus is powerful and he's the real one in authority, he restarts the conversation. He just repeats what he says. He goes, who are you guys looking for? They say again, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And... And then Jesus says something to them that I think shows more of who he is. He says, like I said, that's me. Because it's me, will you let my, my guys go? Will you let my disciples go? Will you just take me? I'm sure it was common in that day that if you were capturing someone who was being accused of being some sort of rebel of some sort, that his group would be captured as well. But Jesus steps forward out from under the trees, as we know, and he's like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to make this hard. I'm going to just let you arrest me. Please just arrest me and let my guys go. This shows us something else about Jesus. Jesus is a protector. Jesus is a protector in this scene. Right, I, I, For some reason, this, this sticks out to me. This strikes a chord with me. I just imagine the soldiers, Jesus, and the, the, the disciples hiding under the tree line. Jesus has put himself physically in front of the soldiers' path to the, to the disciples, protecting them. And then as Jesus is having this arrest come underway, Jesus says, please just let them go. Let them go. 
Just take me. Even in these final moments, Jesus can't help but love by protecting his disciples. So just as Jesus, I think, like probably secured their protection, I'm sure somebody's like, fine, they can go. Peter comes running forward. <laughs> Good old Peter, our favorite. And this is part of why I think uh, he, they're on a little bit of a slope. Because if you've ever ran down a hill, it's kind of hard to run downhill. Because I think Peter slipped as he swung his sword at one of the guys in the group. Because how do you get just an ear, okay? If someone said, here, Anthony, here's a sword. Just take off that person's ear, only their ear. I'd be like, I do, what? I don't know how to, I could get their head. I could get their arm. I could get their body. How do I get just an ear? So I imagine Peter comes loping down this hill, kind of stumbles as he swings at a guy, Malchus, and gets his ear off. And now the scene is just chaotic. Malchus is bleeding. These guys are going, well, now we've got to kill these guys. And there's all kinds of shouting and yelling. And what we know from one of the other Gospels is that Jesus goes up to Malchus, who's about to arrest him, and he heals Malchus's ear. He grows it back. I don't know what he does. But he heals Malchus's ear. And then he turns to Peter, and he's just like, Peter, put your sword away, man. Have you been listening? And he goes, I have to take on this cup of suffering that my father is giving me. This is part of the mission. I have to do this. And so I just imagine Peter kind of sheepishly walks away. And this shows us that Jesus also... He has great poise here, right? We've seen that Jesus is brave. We've seen he's a protector. We see that he's powerful. But he just has, he has a lot of poise here. This is a chaotic scene. The second you're in a group of people and someone's bleeding profusely, it's chaos, okay? And, and Jesus goes, heals, and then talks to Peter. Like he, he is just, he has this such poise here when he's about to go through the worst moments in his life. Right? If I'm Jesus, I'm going, nobody's getting healings. Peter, go away. This is annoying. Like, that's what I'm doing. But Jesus has poise. He heals. He speaks tenderly, gently to Peter, correcting him in the ways he should. He's full of poise. And Jesus is going to keep that poise through the rest of this, these scenes that we're going to read through. Let's read through verses 12 through 27 to see what happens next in the story. It's a lot of verses, but I think you guys can handle it. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I I'm not. Now the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've, I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? 
Ask those who have heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Okay, let's stop there. What we have to notice about what the author John is, is doing here is he's creating an intentional contrast between Peter and Jesus. And I think this contrast actually helps us see Jesus for who he is. So the way the contrast goes is he looks at Peter, who is, has many weaknesses under pressure, and then he'll look at a scene of Jesus who has a lot of strength under pressure. And you see this in 18. It goes, Jesus, Peter, Jesus, Peter. And then even next week, we'll see it goes back to Jesus again. It, it, it's contrasting Peter's weakness under pressure, and it's showing us Jesus' strength under pressure. So let's watch how this contrast unfolds. So first, they, they bind and they, they rest Jesus. I wonder if they made Malchus do it, you know, like after his ear gets healed. I don't know. They bind and they arrest Jesus and they take him to where the high priest lives. Now, now some people think that it could have been a situation where uh, essentially like the different religious leaders kind of lived in almost like a conventy type area. And this is why there's this kind of courtyard that they take Jesus to. And what we hear in the story is that Peter and an unnamed disciple follow along. And this unnamed disciple has a connection with the high priest. Now, most people think it's uh, John. John doesn't really like to name himself is what they think. So it's John here. Peter and John are thick as thieves in the other gospels as well. So they think it's John. But who, whomever it is, it's a disciple of Jesus of some sort, maybe of the 12, maybe of not. And... He has an in with the high priest, so he goes in with this courtyard as Jesus is being brought into this courtyard, and Peter wants to go in too. And so John, or whoever the disciple is, comes back out to the servant girl, hey, can you get my buddy in? And, and the servant girl, I, I like her because she's a little bit mouthy here. I, that, at least that's how I read it, and I always respect a mouthy person because I'm like, there's another one of us. This is great. As long as you're not mouthy to me, I'm cool with it. And she's kind of like, uh, you, you can't be dumb enough as one of this guy's disciples. Like, you can't be one of his disciples and coming in here where we're, like, interrogating him, right? Like, you know this is bad news for you and him and every. Like, this, you can't be coming in here as one of his disciples, right? And we see Peter's first denial. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And that contrast to Jesus, who's much more cool under pressure than Peter is. They, they start questioning Jesus. They're, they're saying, tell us what you've taught. Tell us what you're telling these guys. You rebel and you blasphemer. They're trying to get at the heart of what Jesus, come on, like what can we pin on you? Admit it. To which Jesus goes, listen, I don't have some secret agenda of teachings out here. I, I, in the temple I said, I'm the bread of life. 
I'm living water. Like, I said all these things out. In, like, ask anybody that was around. You can find out what I said. It's really easy if you get a witness to come, you can find out exactly what I said. Which that officer might have taken as a bit cheeky on Jesus' part because they probably should have had witnesses there in the first place. And so this officer turns and, and he says to Jesus, oh, is that how you talk to the high priest? And he slaps Jesus or he punches Jesus. He does something to Jesus. And you really see Jesus' calmness poise under pressure here. I don't know if you've ever been hit in the face. I have, okay, a couple times. This is, I'm mouthy like the servant girl. So every once in a while, you get punched in the face randomly because of it. And when I get punched in the face, something inside my brain happens, and it's just like a demon comes inside, and it's like, it's time to kill, Anthony. Like, it's time to destroy, like, fight that person, swing, kill, do, like, destroy, Right? Even I remember one time this kid punched me in the face and my friend had me walk around the block and around the whole block when my friends walk with me, I'm like, as soon as, we, as soon as I get to the end of this block, like, it's game over for this guy. Like, and, like I was not cooling off at all. I, I see red. If someone came up, slapped me in the face and chastised me and, and, I, and I'm in this situation, say, is that how you talk to the high priest? I know what I'd say. i say, that's how I talk to the high on meth priest because that's how he's acting. Slappy. And then they would have killed me right then. <laughs> but that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus is calm. He's poised. He's cool under pressure. And yet he's also bold. He's bold enough to say, listen, man. Essentially, like, you guys could find all this out with witnesses. It, more than likely, Jesus is trying to point out that they're doing something unjust by not having witnesses there. And so Jesus is saying, if I'm lying, you can prove it very easily. But if I'm telling the truth, why even hit me, man? Jesus is poised, calm, and yet bold under pressure. Because you know what? If that guy figures out the evil that he's doing, it's actually good for his soul to see the evil that he's doing to Jesus in that moment with his, his thought of authority, the officer's self-proclaimed authority in that moment. It would be good for him to see how he's abusing that. So Jesus is not only being bold, he's being loving to this officer. Jesus is bold and poised under pressure. Then it goes back out to Peter who is not as strong under pressure. So another person, like, Jesus, like Peter is warming his hands at the fire with the soldiers, it says. So Peter, he's really smart. And he just is like, I was just at a place where these soldiers, where I chopped off one of the ears. I'm going to hang out with those soldiers now, right? Like, at least Peter, it's like, Peter, just stand a few feet back. Like, hang, hang in the shadows. Like, but he's like, no, nah, I'll just warm myself with these guys. And so they go, aren't you... You're, you're one of his disciples, right? No, I, I, I'm not. And then I love it. A relative of the guy, Malchus, who he cut his ear off, he goes, no, dude, I saw you cut my cousin's ear off. That was crazy. <laughs> you are definitely one of his disciples. And Peter goes, no, I'm, I'm not. And I imagine at this moment, well, then we know also the rooster crows. 
thus fulfilling what Jesus had just said to Peter was about to happen. But I imagine at this moment, Jesus was being interrogated in some room off the courtyard. Like they made a makeshift interrogation room off of this courtyard. And I imagine they were just pulling Jesus out of it to shuffle him to the next place of interrogation. And the reason I imagine it that way is because the Gospel of Luke, it says that when the rooster crows, when Peter does this third denial, Jesus, the Lord, it says the Lord looked at Peter. Looked at Peter. Saw Peter right after this third denial. After all these false accusations. After getting slapped in the face. So there's something else that I want you to see about Jesus here. It's this. It's Jesus' pain. I want you to see his pain. Verse 4 says that Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him. And yet he still steps out from under the safety of these trees to step into experiencing all kind of pain, all kinds of pain from humans and their sin. There's a biblical pattern that we have to see here. There's a biblical pattern we have to see here. God has been betrayed in two gardens. Have you caught that? Did you see that? God has been betrayed in two gardens. In the first garden with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve chose their own way instead of staying in fellowship with God. And because of that, God had to send them out from under the protection of Eden's trees in that garden as a consequence of their sin. In this garden that we saw today, the Garden of Gethsemane, God steps out from under the protection of the trees where he's going to experience all sorts of pain and suffering because of the consequence of human sin in this world. While he leaves his disciples, his people, under the protection of the trees. He steps out from the protection in this garden as he's betrayed, as he leaves his disciples under the protection of the trees. See Jesus' pain. Because verse 4 says he knew everything that he was about to go through, and he was still willing to do it. God's been betrayed in two gardens. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed before. It is painful. Even just low-level betrayals of friends or people you thought were friends, it's just painful. And I could not imagine myself, if, they, if, if someone came to me and said, Anthony, you're going to make things better if you allow yourself to be betrayed in the same way twice, where there's going to be a lot of pain involved, I'd be like, no, not for me. I can't do it. But that's not who Jesus is. He says, I'll be betrayed in the same way twice. And on this second time, he is redeeming that moment in the garden all those years ago with Adam and Eve. He is reversing it. He is giving humanity back their protection by God's hands. See Jesus' pain. The reason I want you to see Jesus' pain is not because I'm morbid or weird or strange, but I think that Jesus' pain shows us something crucial because you kind of go, why are you willing to do all this, Jesus? 
Why are you willing to experience all this pain? And it's simple. It's because of his great love for us. All through John 13 through 17, Jesus is trying to invite the disciples into his way of love. He's trying to tell the disciples that he loves them like a friend. We know exactly why Jesus was willing to go out and from under the trees and experience the pain that he was about to experience because he loves us. That's how much Jesus loves us. He's willing to experience double betrayal. He's willing to experience unlawful, uh, unjust accusations. He's willing to experience unjust punishment physically because he loves us. If you're ever doubting God's love for you, read verse 4 of John 18. He knew it. Jesus knew it all. He knew everything he was about to experience. And he still stepped out from under the trees. That's how much Jesus loves us. Look at his pain. And he goes through all this pain while poised, brave, strong, steadfast, boldly. But he does it because he loves us. Look at what Paul Miller also says about these scenes. I love this quote. He says that Jesus performs a ballet of love, protecting, defending, touching, healing, rebuking, one move rapidly following the other, while those around him are pretending, running, striking, betraying, and murdering. He is as beautiful as they are ugly. The soldiers arrest him, binding the hands that just touched Malchus. The disciples flee into the night, captive to their fears. Jesus is as beautiful as they are ugly. Jesus did all this because of his love for the world. This is how I want to end my scattered sermon. I'll say one other thing, but I want, I want us to take a moment right here, right now, and answer this question in your head, in silence. What is beautiful about Jesus? From what we just read, what is beautiful to you about Jesus? Take a moment in silence and answer that question. What is beautiful about Jesus? May we see that Jesus is beautiful and that he loves us. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being willing to be betrayed twice. Thank you for coming to this world and displaying who you are. God, help us to see it. Help us to know your love. Help us to understand your love. Help us to see you. God, me and many others at times, we're just so blocked up inside for whatever reason, because of sin or whatever else that we can't see you for who you are. And so, God, I'm asking, I'm begging that you would have mercy on all of us in here today. 
that you would help us to see those things about you. Help us to understand them. Help us to imagine them. Help us to know that this is real. Help us to understand your pain and see your pain so that we can see how great your love is for us. You're willing to go through all this pain because of how much you love us. God, thank you for that. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts as we take time to reflect. Amen.